Welcome to the Missing Chapter Podcast, where you will hear some of the least known, obscure, and entertaining stories the history textbooks left out. Starring Phil Horander and Phil Schaff. Have you ever truly paid attention to what is in the food that you eat? This isn't just a case of counting calories or watching your salt and sugar intake. Dating as far back as biblical times, people were unknowingly being poisoned just by doing something that was a necessity, eating. This is a story based in science about a man who challenged the food industry and advocated for the health and safety of the American consumer. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to the Missing Chapter Podcast. I'm Phil Hornder here with Phil Schaff. We are brewing um, an Irish cream today, Phil. Lovely. It's from Wegmans, uh, which is very popular in Western New York. We don't have many, you know, close by here, unfortunately. Um, but it's it's very good. It's good. It's um, got a nice subtle flavor. It's kind of a light coffee. And uh, we've been brewing it all morning. And we usually go the dark roast. So this is a little yeah. change for us. Speaking of change for us, we got an awesome guest here today. A colleague of ours, a good friend of ours, Melissa Fisher. She's a great science teacher. Mm -hmm. And she approached us, I don't know, probably a few months ago, maybe. Yeah. Uh, how she had this unbelievable story. And she said, any chance you'd be willing to share the microphone? And of course, we said, oh, God, yeah. Yeah, we jumped right on it. So Melissa will be joining the ranks of some of our colleagues over the last couple of seasons. Blake Smith, Chris Bauer, Tim Field. And now we're adding to the ranks, Melissa. That's right. And we're very excited for today. We're very excited to to have her here. She did the introduction. It sounds amazing. Yeah. She's a natural at this. And I think the story that she has that she's going to share is going to be one that, that really wows us. Agreed. So, Melissa, take it away. Welcome, Melissa. Thank you. Thank you very much for <laughs> inviting me. Um, so, uh, before 1906, the federal government had no regulation of food safety. There were no laws requiring the testing of certain foods or monitoring extra additives to foods. Uh, companies were not held liable for food-borne illnesses. Pres uh, preservative chemicals such as formaldehyde, toxins such wow. as arsenic, lead, and even a common household cleaner borax were added to certain foods to enhance their color or flavor. Now, these chemicals were added to vegetables to maintain their color and meats to keep them from rotting. Borax was actually one of the more common ingredients added because it not only slowed decomposition, but reacted with the proteins in the meat to kind of firm them up. So almost like Play-Doh, workers in the food industry would actually shape the meat that had already begun to rot into its um, original shape. God, oh my gosh. Now, I don't want to jump the gun here too much, but you mentioned 1906. Mm -hmm. Now, this happens to coincide with something that, that we talk about extensively. Uh, when we do our industrial chapter. Did this coincide with the jungle? 
the, sure the, the very famous book by Upton Sinclair. Yep, okay. Exactly. Interesting. All right, so that's exactly, I noticed because I brought up publication date. There it is, February 26th, 1906. Good. Okay. Yep. Yep. Uh, but this, this little bit of history occurs several years earlier. Got it. Um, so up until that time period, the American food industry was kind of a dangerous place for the mm -hmm. average consumer, not only in their workplaces, but in their own homes. So today I'd like to talk about the experiments on food safety conducted by an American physician and chemist by the name of Harvey Washington Wiley. Hmm. Uh, he was born in 1844, uh, son of a farmer and preacher living near Kent, Indiana. In 1863, he enrolled in Hanover College and studied there for about a year until 1864 when he enlisted in the Union Army as a corporal during the Civil War. After returning to college in 1865, he majored in the humanities and was a top graduate in 1867. Following this, Wiley received his medical degree from Indiana Medical College in 1871. Uh, there he taught chemistry uh, for several years and uh, led Indiana's first laboratory course in chemistry in 1873. Uh, so that same year, he earned his Bachelor of Science degree from Harvard University after only attending a few months. So he was a very intelligent man. Yeah, yeah. Um, his, his resume is really impressive. It, it, as you mentioned his name, I, I pulled up Google and did mm -hmm. a quick search. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I, once again, this is why we do the podcast. How do we not know more about this guy? Mm -hmm. Very yeah. impressive. Yeah, it kind of slips through the cracks a little bit. Yeah. Um, so after um, his uh, graduation, uh, graduation from Harvard, he accepted a chemistry position teaching at Purdue University which held its first classes in 1874. Uh, four years later in 1878, he uh, traveled to Germany, spending most of his time in the Imperial Food Laboratory in Bismarck studying the chemistry of sugar. Hmm. Um, he returned from Germany to Purdue and continued to study sugar chemistry and sorghum culture, which is um, used in like cereals and uh, food for pasture animals um, in today's culture. Um, he also helped with the development of a strong domestic sugar industry when he came back to the United States. Gotcha. So at one point, Wiley was asked by the Indiana Board of Health to analyze the sugars and syrups that were sold for any adulteration to them. So uh, the term, if anyone doesn't know, the uh, term uh, adulteration refers to mm. making something of poorer quality by adding something else to it. Mm. Oh, so um, I, he, my mind immediately went to it after you said Upton Sinclair. I started to go, you know, the your mind just starts racing down all these rabbit holes. I immediately think of uh, what some of the food industry does currently to, you know, beef up the chicken when they advertise for it and they put it in magazines. Mm -hmm. It doesn't actually look like that, right? Because they right. inject it with things. So I'm, I immediately go to that. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. If, yeah. Right. And it's it interesting because you've mentioned grains and things like that. But again, like I, I think, and it's probably just because we talk about the jungle. Mm -hmm. you know, every year, but I think meat industry, how do you take care and, you know, cover up some of the, maybe the meat that's gone a little bit bad. So you don't want to, you don't want right. to waste mm -hmm. anything or, you know, what you add to something to get that taste right. So no, I think this is, once you talk food, Melissa, everybody, mm -hmm. their ears perk up and, and we're interested in what you have to say. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, so, um, in 1881, Wiley ended up publishing his first paper discussing the adulteration of sugar with glucose. Mm -hmm. um, now, sugar, which comes from the sugarcane plant, um, is made of sucrose. It's a little bit more complex than glucose. Um, 
in, in terms of like growing time specific location and its complexity, it's going to end up costing more for the food industry to produce. Okay. So uh, glucose uh, was going to be a much cheaper alternative to just pure sugar. Um, other products added to sugar actually included plastic crystals, mm. urea, oh. washing soda, and chalk powder. Oh. The latter two were actually added to powdered sugar. And and this was no one knew about this. This was just nope. done this kind of under the right under under the noses of everybody. Wow. So yeah. this preceded. I mean, at this stage, obviously, we don't have a list of of components. That's what's going into our food. I right. mean, that's much later in history. Okay. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm, I'm in my mind. I'm thinking of a timeline of right. like I wonder when that happened when we actually said, "Hey, this is what you're consuming and putting into your body." Yep. Absolutely. Um, so uh, Dr. Wiley wanted to make his findings a little bit more understandable to the public, as well as to uh, politicians he was trying to convince over the years. Um, so he commissioned a medical journalist to help him with this. Uh, main areas of concern he wanted to address were the addition of, of formaldehyde to milk, which they called embalmed milk. Oh, my gosh. Um, and also adding certain... Um, chemicals like copper sulfate to tinned French beans to make them more green in color. Uh, copper sulfate is commonly used as an herbicide and fungicide in agricultural um, processing. So this is not this is not just to, or maybe it is to preserve these foods, but it's to make it look more appetizing. Exactly. Essentially. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Wow. Right down to the color. Yeah. Yep. All right. Yeah. Yep. So um, actually, adul adulterated <laughs> milk was actually commonly sold to stretch the dairy products or sorry, uh, the dairy industry's profits uh, and yeah. um, contained some shocking additives. Yeah. Uh, milk was often thinned with unfiltered pond water, oh. um, as well as chalk dust and plaster to, uh, in order to reconstitute it. Which all sound delicious. Oh, yes. The plaster <laughs> part, even better than the unfiltered pond water. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so since this was before pasteurization, toxic dyes would actually be added uh, to give milk more of a golden color. Ooh. Otherwise, it was um, either going to be kind of a grayish or bluish uh, during the rotting process. I, 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 listen, <laughs> I hope no one's making dinner right now as they're listening to this. Oh, my goodness. And it, it, it makes me think of the, the famous Upton Sinclair quote that he had where he said, I meant to hit people in their minds, and instead I hit them in their stomachs. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking to myself, all of these things... It, you're wondering about how is the process allowed to work this way, but more so, what are we eating tonight? Like, because yeah. I can't look at the stuff on my plate the same way. Right. Wow. Um, so after his, um, his paper was published a year, about a year later in 1882, Wiley was appointed chief chemist in the U S department of agriculture. Hmm. Uh, there he assisted Congress with questions regarding the safety of chemical preservatives added to foods. The embalmed beef scandal of 1898, which included the widespread distribution of extremely low quality and adulterated beef during the Spanish-American War, kind of brought this industry to more of a public interest. Wiley continued his research for the USDA over the next 20 years. Now, uh, the really interesting part of uh, Wiley's tenure in the USDA was um, about 20 years later in 1902, he was granted about $5,000, nearly 170000 in today's currency, hmm. to study the effects of a diet consisting of various chemical preservatives on human volunteers. 
Now, these experiments were called the hygienic table trials. <laughs> and you think in the scope of things, 1902 really wasn't that long ago. No, right? it wasn't. I mean, you think about like today, I guess this would be the equivalent. We're, we're very concerned about what chemicals are in cosmetics or, you know, obviously vaccines and things and medicines. But I mean, this just seems so logical to me that you would want to make sure that what we were consuming food wise was safe. Mm-hmm. But you said these but are volunteers. We are. Right. Yep. But it's a 1902. Like that to me, I mean, we're, uh, we're pretty advanced by 1902. Like, yeah, I wish this had happened earlier. Mm-hmm. But so shocking. What, what was the conversation like with these people where it's like, hey, listen, we're going to you got to volunteer and we're going to just try a bunch of stuff out to see what happens. And yeah. they knowingly were like, yeah, yeah. yeah. volunteer. Who, who are those groups of people that are like, yeah, I'll take it. Sure. I hope they were compensated is, well. Yeah. The, the crazy thing is these dozens of men, were they were lining up to volunteer for these. What? Trials. That's, mm-hmm. oh, that's bizarre and yeah. sad. Yeah. So uh, the 12 male volunteers that were chosen, uh, females at this point weren't allowed. Um, those that were chosen for these tests were given $5 a month for a minimum of six months, free lodging in the basement of the Agricultural Department building of Washington, D.C., and three free meals per day to be systematically poisoned. Wow. Uh, only requirements for these experiments were that the volunteers had to be in perfect health, so they were given the best medical treatment or care money could buy at the time. Um, in return, all they had to do was eat only whatever Wiley put in front of them and agree not to sue him or the government over <laughs> any medical complications. Oh, this is crazy. <laughs> so when these gentlemen sat to dine, they were dressed elegantly in suits and ties and were offered the finest quality meals. The only catch was that at any given time, half of the participants would consume capsules containing chemical additives. It keeps getting worse. I, I, I'm telling you, this is unbelievable. It is amazing. Um, So over the course of the next five years, from about 1902 to 1907, Wiley's experiments tested a variety of food additives and their effects on the human body. Mm. Journalists covering these experiments gave the volunteers the nickname of the Poison Squad. Wow. Wow. To think that they were knowingly doing this um, is just bothersome. I mean, you think about that this was going on in our country, Mm -hmm. you know. Not that I'm shocked because you study history, but it's still, it's, it's unnerving. Um, so before each meal, the men would strip and be weighed with data taken about any change in their physical condition. The hygienic table trials commenced in November of 1902. First additive tested was borax being fed to the poison squad in meat and dairy products. So the first additive um, borax or boric acid, um, it's a common household cleaner, as I'm sure most of us know. Uh, it's also used as a laundry detergent and even an insecticide. Oh. So as I mentioned before, borax was added to uh, food to slow decomposition and to make rotting meat a little bit more firm. Uh, the borax actually makes for some cool science experiments, um, like making crystal snowflakes or even bouncy balls. Do you happen to do that in your class? I have. <laughs> oh, that's a few awesome. years ago when I taught chemistry, I actually did those those same things with my students. So, Melissa, did you know this story before you taught that lesson? Um, yes, I did. Uh, a few years ago when I first taught chemistry, I taught about Dr. Wiley and the different experiments of the, the poison squad. So when you were using borax, were you thinking of Dr. Wiley? <laughs> I was. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Yep. 
yeah, those, those are really cool experiments. I think the kids really liked them. So, yeah. um, yeah. So however, um, when ingested, as you can imagine, borax can, uh, cause some pretty serious digestive issues, um, like stomach and bowel damage, liver and kidney failure, even some reproductive harm. Wow. Oh my gosh. So and these, I think, you know, the, 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 the examples you're giving us, mm -hmm. I think everyone is going to be familiar with. These are not like random chemicals that you've mentioned. These yeah. are ones that were like, you're mentioning these. It's like, yeah, like, you know, different detergents, different cleaners. Mm -hmm. Like these are things like in 2022, we know, you know, are, are very harmful and should never be, you know, consumed, mm -hmm. but. I would add pond water to that chemical list. Yeah, as well. pond water. Yeah. That's certainly, yeah, yeah. yeah you, something as with little kids, you would say, "Hey, don't, yeah, don't stop, drink that. Don't drink that." Yep, absolutely. Um, so, I'd like to give you an example of probably the strangest Christmas dinner party menu fed oh, to the geez. Poison Squad. <laughs> okay. Credit for this uh, has to go to Deborah Blum, who included this in an article she wrote in Lapham's Quarterly called "Death in the Pot." Okay. And I quote: <clears throat> uh, Applesauce, borax. Soup, borax, turkey, borax, borax, canned string beans, sweet potatoes, white potatoes, turnips, borax, chipped beef, cream gravy, cranberry sauce, celery, pickles, rice pudding, milk, bread and butter, tea, coffee, and lastly, a little more borax. All right, so if I counted correctly, I think I counted six borax? Indeed. <laughs> So you got your appetizer, borax, your main dish, borax, with a little dessert, yeah. and then double that. I'll add that to your coffee and tea. Wow. So um, this menu wasn't written by Wiley himself, but most likely was a result of a protest by Poison Squad members who grew, grew oh, weary no. of eating chemicals um, back in when they first started. So uh, these chemicals were therefore already taking their toll on their particip mm -hmm. participants. Uh, about a month after the trials were underway, by around Christmas time, the spirits among the Poison Squad members were pretty low. Uh, the participants had lost weight and complained of severe stomach pain and nausea. Two years later, the experiment moved on to test benzoic acid, which is an antifungal product, on 12 new recruits. This time, only three participants lasted until the end. The other nine became so ill that they had to withdraw from the trials. Are, are the participants, are they all in contact with one another? Uh, yep, so they, they can see what, other, okay. I was yep, wondering if they could see. They all dine in the same room. They okay. all board together in the same place. So you can start to see the toll, even if it's not taking a toll mm -hmm. as much on me, you're starting to see what it's doing to other people. Yes. Okay. Yep. That's bothersome too. Yep. And this, these, um, these detrimental effects on the human body, they, it doesn't even take that long for them yeah. to kind of kick in. Um, so uh, the results of all of these trials were nationally published, causing a rise in unease among the public. Hmm. So originally, Wiley was using these experiments to ensure foods were labeled correctly uh, in order to show their additives. Upon further research, he concluded that certain chemicals like formaldehyde or boric acid should be banned altogether. The proposed food bill of 1902 was defeated by lobbyists, failing to register even one vote. Wow. How is that possible? It I, has to be I the same know. reason things don't get passed today. Uh, I'm, it must be. Money, yeah. lobbyists, mm -hmm. you know, who you're being supported by and who you would lose funding through. I'm guessing. I'm speculating, but. Mm -hmm. now, the government were 
had such high profits from mm. these adulterated foods that um, they, they didn't want the public to know. So um, therefore, uh, Wiley went other routes. Um, he sought the support of female groups due to the domestic pressure they could exert. Uh, his campaign grew in popularity, spreading to even uh, to the wider community of health and welfare. Hmm. They called for public control of water and sewer systems and fought for, quote, pure food. In fact, the Heinz Company was one of the first to support this movement, replacing chemical preservatives in their ketchup with vinegar. Interesting. So, I mean, obviously we use vinegar <laughs> in a lot of different things, but I never really thought of it as, as, as kind mm -hmm. of a preservative. Mm -hmm. Yep as it is more, you know, as a flavor additive. Right. right. Interesting. So it's a dual benefit then, obviously. Yep. Um, so a couple of years after the trials were underway, uh, 1905, the Poison Squad would move on to test another food additive, salicylic acid. Uh, this found to cause the bleeding of the stomach. Oh. Uh, salicylic acid is actually still used in foods today, such as broccoli, spinach, tomatoes, cauliflower, etc. So what, at what point do they add that kind of stuff? Is it, is it in the harvesting process? Is it the... Uh, yeah, right after that. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Okay. I've always appreciated living where we do. Yeah. You know, surrounded by farms and having, I guess, easier access to, to fresh food mm -hmm. um, and knowing the process of how it was made and raised and cultivated. But hearing this, I mean, I, I don't know how many Americans at this point, you know, live that lifestyle. Right. You know, I think we're, we're probably at this point in history still at an age where most people are going to grocery stores to get their their food, I would imagine. Unless you lived on a farm, you don't really have many options. No, absolutely you, not. You have to purchase what's available to yep. you. Yeah. Yeah. Whether it's laced with these chemicals or not. Or not. Yep. Yeah. So uh, later that year in 1905, Wiley, along with uh, many female activists <clears throat> and progressive food producers, met with President Roosevelt to lobby for safe food legislation. Six months later, in June of 1906, the Meat Inspection Act and the Pure Food and Drug Act were passed, paving the way to the creation of the Food and Drug Administration. Tune in to Season 3, Episode 20 on January 21st, when we sit down with hometown history winner and California school teacher Dawn McKinney. Her story was so big, she had to bring in her entire class to share it, and they did not disappoint. Tune in for this very special edition of the Missing Chapter Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Well, Melissa, I got to say, first of all, thank you for taking the time to do the research and, and share the story with us because, you know, history is far reaching. We talk about history reaching art, um, you know, automobiles, uh, culture, you know, it, it, it's, it reaches everywhere, including science. And I, I love the fact that we're linking science and history together. And here's another thing. I mean, the FDA is, is speaking of far reaching, it's obviously a far reaching organization and we, it's very necessary. So to know that this is the guy that really was the pioneer of the FDA, correct? Right. Yep. That's exactly. pretty amazing. Yeah. Yep. And, um, you know, I guess where my mind is going, Melissa, is that, you know, as things start to progress in, in Congress, 
working with the government and, and the, you know, the legalization, the creation of these laws, do we know or have any idea what happened to the members of the Poison Squad? Is there any information on, you know, were, were any of these tests fatal? I mean, you know, I, through my research, there wasn't really a whole lot of information about the members themselves, mm-hmm. just about the trials and how Wiley um, challenged the food industry. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, like, like you said, essentially Harvey Washington Wiley can be credited as being a co-founder of the FDA along with President Theodore Roosevelt. Um, so he was often known for giving his quote seal of approval to many products. So the government would send many products to him for him to test as well as to um, mark whether or not they were fit for human consumption. Amazing. So um, Wiley's tenure after 1906 created a significant amount of controversy as one would expect. He even challenged Coca-Cola for what he viewed as an excessive amount of caffeine added to their soft drinks. His resignation from government work in 1912 landed him as head of the Laboratory for Good Housekeeping magazine, where he would remain for the next 18 years. That in itself is fascinating. I know. Yeah, to go from a government job to good, yeah, to good housekeeping. Yeah, it makes that, sense, but yeah, that's, definitely. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Um, so he, he passed away at the age of 85 in 1930. Um, his achievements with the Poison Squad are the subject of Deborah Lum's book, The Poison Squad, published in 2018, and a PBS documentary in 2020. Uh, so if the story interests others, um, these would be awesome things to check out. What's the documentary called? Um, it's called The Poison Squad. Poison Squad. Of course it is. That's great. I, I got to look that up now. Yeah, it certainly makes you think. And again, we, you know, we're, we're so hypersensitive now to what we put on our bodies, what we put in our bodies, to, to know the origins of when, you know, like Phil said, those pioneers mm-hmm. first brought it to people's attention. What mm-hmm. seems like it's so common sense to us now wasn't always that way, right? but certainly so relative to today. That's amazing. Well, so, Melissa, I got to say, this was, this was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I mean, stuff that we, I had no idea about. I love the fact that we tied in a little Upton Sinclair yeah. um, and it brings in the present day also. It's just right. a great overall story. And, and areas and topics we haven't delved into yet. This True. is new for us in season three. So I, I, I know I speak for Phil whenever you want to come back, the door is open, the mic is on, and we'd love to have you. Absolutely. I'd be happy. Awesome. I, I thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet... You can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Until next time, I'm Phil Schaff. I'm Phil Hornder. And I'm Melissa Fisher. Another chapter has been added to the history textbooks.